1: Fearscape Media Network, exploring the unknown, one podcast at a time.
2: Hey everyone, Josh here from Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. Have you been to our website, fearscapepodcast.com? There, you can check out our store with all of our awesome t-shirts, check out guests that have been on the show, listen to the podcast directly on the website, even donate and help us bring you awesome content. Please consider supporting us. Fearscape dot com.
0: Hey everybody, Stefan here. This episode is sponsored by the great folks over at Box Mountain. Box Mountain is a subscription box service that has my favorite sub box yet, the Cryptid Crate. You see Josh got one of these for his birthday and I was super jealous because it was packed full of merchandise pertaining to cryptids. The box he received first was all about the Flatwoods Monster which of course is one of our favorites and it had a t-shirt, a book, a patch, mug, and some awesome stickers. So I checked out the price to get one for myself and let me tell you it is well worth the value. These make excellent gifts for yourself or even friends that are cryptid lovers as well now if you use the coupon code fearscape you will get 25 percent off the first month for any new subscription or 10 percent off individual purchases so go ahead and head on over to fearscapepodcast.com slash cryptid crate now and get yourself one today
3: Hello. I'm so glad you could join us. I hope you brought your blanket to hide under. The spooky crew is going to discuss things and events from other realms. Ghosts. Cryptids. Aliens. Be sure to hold your blanket extra tight as the boys take you deep. Into the fear scale, fear scale, fear (laughs) scale.
0: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another fantastic episode of Fearscape Paranormal Podcast here on the Fearscape Media Network. I am your host, Stephan Gearhart, and I am joined, as always, by the man that has been referred to as sweeter than sugar, but crusty like a booger, my co-host, Mr. Josh Rutledge. What up, man?
2: Hey, man, I I don't know how to take... Uh, that introduction, I, I like the idea of being sweeter than sugar, but I don't know if I want to be crusty like a bone.
0: I was trying to get a little Muhammad Ali on you, man. Like, you know. Well, and,
2: I, and, I, and, like, I feel like for the second part, I'm like that monk guy from The Golden Child that, like, you know, picks his nose and, like, yeah, he wipes it on his, his jacket. on his jacket. And Eddie Murphy's like, you're just going to wipe that there, huh? It's like yep. oh, you're frozen. You're going to scratch yourself later you or
0: something. you going to cut yourself <laughs> <laughs> we have brought up golden child many times on this many show times. it's a than, great movie it is fantastic, fantastic. Um, but i i didn't want to say salty because i didn't want to imply that you know you're you've been eaten you know like I'd, I'd rather go with crusty
2: okay i, I mean salty is like right it, it, it's, it implies that you're uh i don't know Rude, I right. guess. Isn't well, that what's well
0: crusty. So my sister uses salty and crusty all the time. She's like, ooh, don't get crusty. Don't get salty. They mean two different things, but they're very similar. They're very similar. That's why you could be sweet. Maybe like we sugar.
2: need a... <laughs> So, are we going to work in an urban dictionary segment into the show? I mean,
0: I don't, where are we going? Yes, well, the the Fearscape Urban Dictionary. (laughs) Urban Dictionary. We just like words that we and our guests have made up over the years. Uh, But, anyways, I want to get, I want to thank everyone for joining us. Uh, I had a really great time last week with Kyle Cadell. I just wanted to give him another shout out. Make sure you get out to that yep. museum uh, in Somerset there. But we have a really cool guest tonight as well. We have Shane Hurd, who is a uh, MUFON field Investigator, which of course is the Mutual UFO Network uh, out of uh, my new hometown, Phoenix, Arizona. Not only is he a MUFON field uh, investigator, but he's also an author. He's uh, recently, uh, this past year, written and published a book called The Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, A Beginner's Guide to Researching UFOs. It is available on Amazon. I'm sure we'll be talking about it. Um, but yeah, this yep. guy is pretty cool. You, you know, you reached out to him. We've been trying to find a MUFON investigator to talk to so we can talk about MUFON. And just what all goes into that, and uh, Shane so graciously uh, decided to come on board. So we're going to be talking to him uh, after the break. But of course, before we get to that, Joshy Pooh, we got to get to our segments. And uh, (laughs) for those tuning in, we got a brand new segment tonight that we're going to be airing. Which we'll when we get to it, we'll let you know. Um, But yeah, so but first, as always, we have the psychic word of the week. And now, the psychic world
1: of the week.
0: All right, Uh, and I noticed last week, apparently I did the, uh, for Psychic Word of the Week, I announced it like the guy from, uh, the old guy from Price is Right. It was like, the Psychic Word of the Week. That's right, the Encyclopedic Psychic Dictionary from June G. Blitzer, PhD. Come on down! Something like that, so i just tried to yeah. emulate it. Um, but right. yeah, so you guys know we do. We have uh the encyclopedic psychic dictionary from my honey bear, Juju Bletzer, rest in peace, honey buns. Um, but we uh flipped through the book. Uh I asked Josh this time to tell me when to stop. I had the book under the table. We landed on page 105, which is in the letter C. And the phrase that grabbed my attention first was changing woman. And no, this is not at Walmart. Um, you know, with new socks and, and, and shirts and things like that. That's not what this means. Um, it's actually a Navajo Native American term. Uh, it says respected as a holy person. So immediately that's the first thing is that a changing woman is respected as a holy person. They have the psychic ability to summon etheric world angels in charge of nature to help the people when in need of rain. Wind and other natural events Necessary for their existence So it almost sounds Like um, Oh I had it in my head and I can't think of it now Like oh, just like a weather shaman Almost you know
2: Yeah well very yeah very elemental uh, Yeah In in what they are doing so What's interesting is It's
0: it's interesting to see the word angel You know mixed in you know I'm like I know that that's more of a Christian Type word um, so this well, but, makes me leads me to believe that it's that kind of mixed, you know, maybe that you know because the 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 Spanish came in and maybe added some yeah. of their beliefs to the Navajo
2: or or something that I've been really uh, thinking a lot about lately is that um, <clears throat> Angel uh, really is just uh, an intermediary between us the physical Mm -hmm. and uh god the the universe god the 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 etheric right and so um and so angel doesn't necessarily have to be like the bible's description of an angel it could be anything that is that messenger um that is carrying the message or carrying the magic or carrying the whatever from whomever you're asking. Yeah, for you know it's it interesting cuz it
0: growing up catholic, it's very similar along those lines with saints and uh priests and things like that. It's like you always go through them instead of going to god. Um and it's almost as if god ain't got time for little things like that. So he leaves it up to his his press secretary and other people well, like that.
2: Well, and we're not yeah you know when i say god i don't necessarily mean god oh i know i just right i
0: just just mean like growing up catholic i get that and and it is it's that intermediary um that kind of exists in between because the the big big one is is possibly too big and so sometimes we need um smaller versions to feel uh i guess not overwhelmed maybe yeah Um, But it's interesting. So maybe the the
2: use of angel here is not so much from the Christian understanding of angel, but more of that, you know, uh, adaptation, if you will.
0: Yeah, it almost sounds like an elemental spirit, like we were, you know, alluding to in the very, very beginning. But it's interesting because changing woman immediately to me, I thought was going to be a a shapeshifter. But no, it's just someone who is able to help change the weather patterns. So very, very interesting. Um thank you June G blitzer uh for your guidance. <laughs> so let's go ahead and uh, get out of that and move into spooky news cuz we've got some potentially weird not weird but like kind of scary news. Like this is weird stuff, man and it's gonna it's gonna hamper everyone in the UFO field. So yeah.
2: let's move into spooky. It's gonna news. impact a lot.
0: So this comes from CNN Business. Uh, the headline here reads that drone delivery one step closer to reality with new FAA rules. Now you know a lot of this uh, Amazon and stuff like that. They're really trying to push being able to do make deliveries through drones. Basically, so they don't have to pay people. Uh, but uh, what the article here says, Amazon, Google's parent Alphabet, uh, and UPS all hope to one day deliver large amounts of goods by drone. Now, new U.S. government rules clear some hurdles to making that dream a reality. The FAA finalized new rules for small, unmanned drones on Monday that could pave the way for expanded commercial uses of the vehicles, including delivery surfaces. For the very first time, the FAA will allow small commercial drones to fly short distances over people and at night without a waiver. Small drones will also be permitted to fly over moving vehicles under limited conditions. In a change from a previous proposed draft of the rules, drone operators must also have their remote pilot certificates on their persons and ready to be displayed if challenged by authorities. The rules apply to drone operators who use their unmanned aircraft for work or business under the FAA's Part 107 regulations, Uh, as many as 1.7 million drones right now have been registered with the FAA as well as more than 203,000 drone pilots the agency said and the new rules will make way for further integration of drones into our airspace by addressing safety and security concerns they get us closer to the day when we will routine, routinely see drone operations such as the delivery of packages said FAA administrator Steve Dixon um, and I could continue on, but essentially, it's kind of frightening to be honest with you, um, because now well, we're going to have so many UFO sightings that are going to be drones.
2: It, so, so two things that come to mind, and, and first of all, is these things aren't small. Like I don't mm-hmm. know if you've seen pictures of these yeah, commercial size the drones. It reminds me of size
0: Yeah, reminds me of that news story in Nebraska that we had to ask Santosh about yeah. about those giant right freaking drones.
2: I mean it, it it's they're like the size of a Volkswagen Beetle like, like the old style, like this, you know, sixties mm-hmm. and seventies style. But I mean it's about that high and about that size. And then the second thing is, is and this is where I hope because the FF FAA is putting this into place and you have to have these things in place, like you have to have your license, you have to be registered. What I'm hoping is is like the two apps that I use um, to validate um, mm-hmm. what I'm seeing in the sky, like right. to rule things out. I'm hoping that drones will show up as registered in the area of vehicles.
0: Yeah, what right? I really want is something that records all that to be able to go back. So, like, for example, to look at a UAP sighting and we could go back and go, oh, look, yeah. here's where they were that was a drone delivering a package. Um, And this whole thing is set so that it could be like dominoes back in the day so they can get you a package in 30 minutes or less. I'm like, I don't need an adult coloring book in 30 minutes or less. Like, I can get it in a couple days. Like, it's fine.
2: (laughs) But, you know, I mean, like, uh, we had a... uh, I've been ordering stuff um, to make my office more uh, sound-proof so that I can move out of the area that I'm doing the Mm -hmm. pot in now and back into my office. And so, the other day, like I went out to leave to go to the store, and like I <laughs> opened the garage door, and there was like there was like ten boxes sitting by my garage door, And I'm, like holy crap! But I mean, um, the one thing that I will say about Amazon is, is that they're not very efficient. Mm-hmm. So like they could have three different trucks come and deliver three different packages to mm-hmm. my house on the same day.
0: Yeah, I used um, to do that so Amazon like, delivery because they just let anybody and their mother do it. It's, you know, it's a um, right a 1099 but, I mean, job, that's, yeah. And I would get there and there's like, I'd run into another guy who's delivering a package. And we're like, why didn't we just get both of these?
2: Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you can imagine then that how many different drones might be flying back and forth, especially if a drone can only carry, you know, like a couple boxes at a time. Um, and there's probably a weight limit on like, so But I'm I'm more worried about anything with all this that, like, I'm going to have a crash on my house in the middle of the night where two drones collide in with one another. So, I mean, could you imagine if you're like, you know, an air traffic controller and the stress that you have now for controlling how many planes are in the air and then you add into the mix? Two million drones. I mean, that's well, just, uh,
0: just... the news story does say it says under the new FAA rules, small drones will now be equipped with anti-collision lights and other technology to help remotely identify both the aircraft and their operators. Um, and an interesting thing is is that um, drone pilots uh, usually have to undergo an in-person training test every two years. They will no longer have to do that because now they can just do it online.
2: Oh. Huh. But I mean, yeah. I know they're going to have lights on them and stuff, and I mean I understand that. But it's still the the tracking of all the different things in the air is mm-hmm. just going to be and crazy ridiculous. Crazy. The amount of like like I said, it's already stressful for those folks with just the airplanes and helicopters that are in the, in the air. So yeah, I know. Um, I just, I mean, yeah. it's just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, with you. I, it just
0: seems crazy. I mean, like I said, I just. Man, it's just like, and you know, Amazon's also putting up satellites, you know, to compete with uh, Elon Musk for the Wi Fi. Starlink thing. and, and it's stuff. Like, yeah. God, I mean, we're just going to be overwhelmed with lights in the sky. And uh, yeah. I don't know. The only thing I hope is that so many people are going to start seeing stuff that maybe they'll start getting interested. <laughs> you
2: know? Yeah. Well, it could be a gateway you know, drug. <laughs> I, I mean, I suspect that, uh, you know, like the, the guy we're going to talk to here in a little bit. Um, you know, his job is going to get a lot more difficult um, to validate if things were a drone versus an actual, you know, oh, yeah. UFO. So,
0: yeah. well, All right. Well, I want to move into our new brand new segment. Instead of going to UAP sighting of the week, which I kind of want to save the end because neither of us have creepy catch up this week. So I want to save the UAP the sighting of the week since we got a move on guy. Um, we've got a brand new segment that we've been talking about for a while that we've been wanting to do. And that is introducing our listeners every week to a brand new Cryptid of the Week. Both of us have like a Cryptid monster book. And we've just so many that we haven't heard of. Some small town ones and things like that. So buckle your seatbelt and get ready for Cryptid of the Week. Hi y'all, it's the Jersey Devil. Hope y'all are ready to meet some of my friends. Cryptid. Of the week. All right, Josh, cryptid of the week. What do we got for our very first cryptid of the week? Who are we looking at?
2: Well, so first of all, I want to give a shout out to the theologian because he sent me this book for Christmas, um, and it is just full of a lot of great information about cryptids. So, shout out to the theologian for uh, for looking out for for me and for the show.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So, um, so this the first one is the ah, ah, I'm going to butcher this a um, a h o o
0: l well yeah
2: a hul a hul um uh, first reported in 1925 uh, in java indonesia um and his cryptid is aerial bat like and then and this book gives it a uh, a reality rating <laughs> Uh, which is uh, three stars, and it says some evidence supports the possibility of the cryptid being real. So, um... Interesting. The, it so says says just
0: one guy saying they seen it. Right, exactly.
2: So it says, Doctor Ernest Bartels, and the natural is, a, is the naturalist who discovered this bat-like cryptid in 1925. After hearing it screech, ahool, 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 he named it for the strange vocalization. Um. While naturalist Dr. Bartels is credited with spotting the black and gray Ahul in Indonesia, he is not the only person to make such a claim. In August of 2015, student Pedro Rogue uh, reported seeing a similar creature in Almada, Portugal, which is on the Tagus River. I and another friend heard a noise above, Pedro told the Crypto- Cryptozoology News. It looked like a large flying animal, perhaps a giant bat. Hmm. With a 10-foot wingspan and spearing teeth, the O'Hul is thought to be a fish eater, and its proximity to a river supports that theory. Pedro and his friends tracked the animal for a few seconds before it disappeared into the thick brush.
0: Mm -mm. Y'all get out. That's Dracula. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I mean, there's there's a lot more information here about the O'Hul, and I won't go into great detail. Uh, if you're interested, you know, look it up. But um, interesting here that we've got uh, 1925, a giant bat. Um, interesting how related this could be to Mothman sightings. Um
0: I thought about that a little bit. But,
2: uh, you know, because a bat um, is still a a mammal type animal it's you know it still has uh, fur on its body and then the wings uh, mothman is described as kind of being bird like with fur feathers on its body and, and wings so it's interesting could these two creatures really be the same and again like we've talked about before how different areas attribute them to different things if you live in an area that has a lot of bats you might attribute it to be in a giant bat right. you know so
0: well, what's interesting is is that uh, they apparently named this cryptid like uh, you would name a Pokemon based off of what it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> that would be like, uh, yeah, be like us calling cows moose. There's a moo over there. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I love my bark <laughs> over here. He's such a nice bark.
2: Boss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't have a response <laughs> to that. But truth <laughs> be told, though, what
0: it sounds like is is not is what it sounds like is the Batman villain Man Bat is kind of what it sounds like.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: And so I wonder well, if it has wings like... and arms, or if its arms were wings,
2: Well, its arms were wings. I don't know. I mean, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't... In, in the it doesn't really go into that detail. Although it does have a drawing here, uh, like an artist depiction of what the um what it looks like did like it did I'll it have human
0: features or was it just a giant bat
2: yeah um and it does have like uh the pup so a juvenile a hool or a pup mm-hmm. um really interesting here Ivan Sanderson I know that name also investigated it yeah i know that name because i read one of his books
0: hm
2: which is he talks about he wrote a big he wrote a book about um all the ufos really come in from under the water
0: right so. right that's who that is absolutely very interesting the ahool. well if anybody out there has any sightings and has seen an ahool let us know podcast at gmail.com <laughs> in yeah, fact if exactly. you have any cryptid sightings let us know we'd love to yeah love to throw that in if we ever come across uh one of the cryptids you have seen and uh, you know of course big shout out to our buddy the jersey devil hey <laughs> All right, let's get moving into the UAP sighting of the week so we can get talking to Shane. So what do we got for the UAP sighting of the week?
2: So this comes from, um, this comes from MUFON. I, I, fe- I felt it fitting. Good we have you. a MUFON guy on tonight. We should look at, we should look at MUFON. Um, this happened in uh, Palm Desert, California, um, I'm not entirely sure where that is, but I'm going to think it's probably in the desert part of California. So southern. Just going up, Yeah. Um, and it's the, the the kind of summary is a cluster of white objects in a semi V pattern.
4: I was hiking today in the Bighorn area, just off of Art Smith trailhead at 1239 PM. When I looked up in the Northern direction facing highway 111, and saw an east-southeast moving cluster of small, uniformly shaped white objects flying at a steady speed. The altitude is unknown, but they were near or above plane levels. There were 20 to 24 objects flying in a semi-V pattern, with the main area V-shaped and the other 50% behind, above, and below the main v-shape and the smaller clusters. They had their spacing for the most part. They were somewhat tightly packed. At first, I didn't take it too seriously as it was in the afternoon, but also because it looked like a flock of birds. I directed my wife to look up and joked that it was a UFO. She thought they could be birds too, but upon closer examination, we saw that they were round and not moving about other than they are flying in one direction, the flight was silent, without any trail. It was several miles overhead. We watched it flying with slight movement in individual spaces, i.e., it wasn't a single object. There were we were both wearing polarized glasses, and as the objects drew further away, they became hard to see, unless we tilted our heads, whereby they were again plainly visible. I tried to get video, but couldn't capture it. I didn't take it too seriously at first, and when I tried, I didn't get it in frame as the sun was bright and the objects were far away. They then flew into a slight cloud cover and never seemed to emerge.
2: Yeah. That's a... one. Well, the way that he just... The way that it's described... Um, it's almost like the, and and I'm trying to think of how to, how to, how to talk about this. Uh, There's a, there's a sci fi ship, but I can't think of it. You, you probably know what it is, but whenever they fly anywhere, they always had this, these drones that would constantly circle around the ship. I'm, I want to say it was Andromeda, which I know you hate it as a show, but, um, but I think the Andromeda ship was that one of those that had like these I drones hate that kind Andromeda. of. Andromeda,
0: I just didn't get into it like like my friend Paul did.
2: <laughs> but anyway, so that's what it almost seems like to me is like uh, there's the main ship, if you will, mm-hmm. the V is the main ship, and then there's these other kind of clustery drone things that are kind of following along. Or it's potential if you think of it like what we do in the navy, we have typically a couple of larger ships and then several smaller support vessels. Yeah,
0: that's exactly what I thought. Which reminds me of uh, the UAP sightings that we saw where they kept disappearing into an area that we felt like they may be going into a larger ship. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Very, very interesting. But so, I did look up Palm Desert. It's uh it's kind of in the middle of the south there. Um it's actually uh right by Palm Springs and right by Coachella Valley, which I'm pretty sure is where they do the Coachella festival every year. So Okay. Yep. Pretty snifty, and not too far is the Salton Sea. <laughs> Just to throw that <laughs> to you to find that water. Um it's it's really not far yep. at all. It's a big old lake, like a sea, I don't know don't usually see seas in the United States. so.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, it, it may have been something that was was. It, is it saltwater? I wonder because I mean, it's salt a lot of the, ton,
0: S-A-L-T-O-N.
2: Yeah, so, it, you know, typically they talk about if there's a saltwater lake it's either fed by the ocean or um, it was once when the ocean was that far inland uh, and then receded, it left behind a saltwater lake. Right.
0: So. Yeah, um it, it says though, I'm looking at it, um it is a saline lake. So it is shalty. Um, but it's it says it it exists right on the uh the San Andreas fault line. So it's like huh. if that ever like goes, it's gonna drain. Yeah, it's
2: like a it's like a bathtub
0: <laughs> plug, like,
2: right? Yeah. A, like, <laughs> oh, so
0: that's so funny, man.
2: That happened um I think it was like Louisiana or something. There was a, a really big lake, like, I mean, huge lake. Um, and they were out, like, drilling uh, mm-hmm. for oil. And uh, they drilled too far and hit the, uh, hit an underground, like, river. And all the lake water drained out of the lake. I mean, they, they said it was, like, crazy just how fast it all drained out of the lake. And people were, like, wading out in the mud and just scooping up fish. <laughs> <laughs> to eat and stuff. So it's crazy. Anyways, I has nothing to do with the UFO UAP sighting, but yeah.
0: Well, all right. Well let's get moving on. I know everybody's done hearing us jibber jabber away. So let's get uh to Shane Heard, our MUFON field investigator, and our interview just right after this quick ad break.
2: Hey everybody, Josh here with Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. Uh, I don't know if you're like me, but I've got glasses. Um, And one of the things that I really hate with wearing my mask um, is that my glasses constantly fog. I've got the kind of mask that you can pinch the nose and it's supposed to keep the glasses from fogging, but it still fogs. Sometimes I just get outside on a cold day, come back in the house, my glasses fog. Get out to pump gas. My glasses fog. So one of the things that I came across is this uh, spray bottle that is uh, anti, uh, anti-fog spray. And you spray it on and you wipe it off and then it protects your glasses and keeps them from fogging. And I'm going to tell you, this stuff is spectacular. Um, I've even cleaned my glasses a couple times since applying it and it still works. Um, I also have uh, anti-glare glasses and this stuff is safe for anti-glare glasses. If you want to pick up your own bottle, Go to fearscapepodcast.com slash fog.
0: Fearscape Media Network is your new home for everything weird and enlightening. Check out podcasts and YouTube shows covering content from discussions on horror films to the paranormal to meditation. Find out more at fearscapemedia.com. all right welcome back to fearscape paranormal podcast thank you guys for joining us back after the break uh like we said we have a very special guest with us we have shane Hurd, author and mufon field investigator and he is here with us hey shane how's it going Hey guys
2: man? how you doing
0: doing really good
2: fantastic
0: I'm doing good and one of the cool things i know i don't remember if we mentioned this in our intro yet or not josh but one of the things that i really uh liked about this is that uh shane is out here in the phoenix area same as me um so you know uh, he's already that means that I, just in the short time i've been here i have seen more ufo activity i've ever seen like oh good lord man um, so that's exciting to uh, have our first Phoenix guest on here. Well, I guess second because we had the Longhorn guy on here. Yeah,
2: so he's apparently uh, a
0: ghost oh. guy.
2: <laughs> Which you know, I mean, talk about though, Stefan, That you know, you've seen a lot of of UFOs, mm-hmm. um, and just to kind of kind of kick things off here a little bit with Shane, um, you know, I, I would imagine though that Stefan, you know, even though we try to do like we use some apps and stuff to try to uh basically debunk what we're seeing or to or to or to classify or explain what we're seeing and where we're mm-hmm. where we can't we classify that ourselves as a ufo but shane you're you're pretty much as a field investigator that's what your sole purpose is right is to basically look at something and, and try to find an explanation and whatever can't be explained must be a ufo yeah
5: it really is it's a it's a process of elimination and you go for the most obvious and work your way down. So, you know, obvious things that are uh, probably the most prevalent um, thing thing that occurs for people is a misidentification of something that's pretty prosaic. So, um, you know, planet Mm -hmm. Venus, these are going to sound like a cliche, but they are because they are commonly mistaken. Or, you know, aircraft and satellites and drones and, um You know, weather activity and, and all sorts of things. So, yeah, the investigation process really starts with that
0: elimination of the most obvious. Yeah. Yep. Right. I remember yep. when Mars was really, really close to the moon a few months back, and everybody was like, I've seen an orange UFO by the moon. And, you know, you had to say, well, was it wasn't moving? Well, no, but it was orange. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and to say, <laughs> hey, it was, it was Mars.
2: <laughs> well and it's we just uh, as part of the segments that we do leading up to the interview we were talking about how the faa just basically said okay uh now drones commercial drones can now fly at night yeah. uh and and and, uh, and and that's just gonna that's probably gonna spike a lot of ufo sightings much like Starlink uh, and, and,
0: did yeah much like mm-hmm. Starlink did.
5: Yeah. yeah. Uh, drones are sort of the bane of our existence because, um, you know, they're mm-hmm. becoming rather ubiquitous. And like you said, now they're going to be able to fly at night. And, um, and, you know, at a distance they can look quite strange and, you know, they're outfitted with lights and you oh, know, sure. LEDs and, you know, they look quite strange. And then of course, depending on how big they are yeah. and how far away they can look really bizarre. So, yeah, that that's definitely
0: an issue for us. Yeah, it sucks. Well, an it's, LED it's between that and Starlink, you know, it's like that's a skeptic's wet mm-hmm. dream. That because they can immediately just say, I mean, it was more than likely yeah. a drone.
5: but it, it's, it's always done. the the devil's in the details, you know, and that's mm-hmm. yeah, that's why we have a, an investigative process that helps you, you know, really identify or eliminate those sorts of things. So you can't just lazily say oh that was a drone or Mm -hmm. that was you know a helicopter or whatever no you've got to do your due diligence as an investigator you got to present evidence you got to document it and really when i do a case i i almost look at it like preparation of a court case how am i going to defend Mm. my investigation my logic and my conclusion and so that that's really you know part of it so as an investigator, you have to be very neutral. And, you know, we all have bias, whether we want to admit it or not. Um, but sure, you really have sure. to set that bias aside so that you can remain neutral and you look at all of the evidence and let the evidence speak for itself
0: i always think of scully in x-files how like from like episode one she was already seeing stuff but the very next episode she'd still be like i just don't know if any of that stuff's real and i'm like come on scully (laughs) you just saw an alien walk up and touch (laughs) you on the face (laughs) but she did she always remained neutral no matter what she saw
2: (laughs) yeah well and and, in so much of this stuff um you know it, 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 the the uh responsibility or um uh, owners if you will for proof is on the uh the seer right because for them to be able to make a strong enough case like you've said like a like a legal case to to, to without a shadow of a doubt to say we can't explain what this is; therefore, it's unexplainable. Therefore, it's UFO. Uh, I, th- I think where a lot of people get hung up, and and where I've seen, we talked a little, bit, a little bit about this before, the the switch now to UAP is that so many people associate UFO with alien, um, and, and it's it's not that it's an alien craft; it's just we don't know what it is. It's unidentified. Yeah, very right? true. Because it's
0: been so closely associated with sci-fi yeah and in fact um one of the things
5: i do talk about especially in my book in fact it's the first chapter is correct terminology because it's powerful so for example ufo Mm -hmm. unidentified flying object that was a term coined by the air force in about 1953 and the um idea behind it was it was a way to as accurately describe what was seen in a way that they could categorize and sort it so when you look at it you're talking an object but with UAP it's different unidentified aerial phenomena so it may not be an object so Mm -hmm. like today you've probably seen videos on YouTube and all sorts of stuff where you'll see maybe the spiral in the sky or orbs plenty of orbs lights (laughs) in the sky and other things like that that you cannot in a critical way say it's an object it's a light and you assume there's an object but you can't make an assumption you have to look for evidence so that term was much less loaded than the ufo because of pop culture and that over the years and it really started to be used in military circles again to allow a consideration of the topic without that baggage that sci-fi or pop culture baggage this is more of a scientific term and it allowed to you know the military and other scientists to you know discuss it without that whole baggage so you know i'm a fan of ufo because i think it's historical and i think it's meaningful Mm -hmm. but at the same time i understand i also use uap and it depends
0: on my audience who i'm speaking to you know right and not only audience but it depends on what it is you're seeing yeah, too absolutely. right you know we talked about that a lot that uh, you know if it is indeed something flying i i'm more apt to use ufo but if it looks like some sort of light that's like phasing in and out that could be some sort of hologram or something along those lines i may use uap a little bit more yeah so, think, or something on the ground well, and,
2: and i've heard well and i've heard another um uh breakout of uap is Unidentified aquatic mm. phenomenon, and mm-hmm. I don't know how widely that's being used, but just you know things that that like the one of the videos uh, from 2017 mm-hmm. uh, that were recently confirmed, you know that that whole thing, that interview that with the pilot started with, it was it was kind of around the ocean, like it was interested in whatever was happening right. in the ocean, and so that was more of an aqua, that uh, was quest. that was more of an, aqu- <laughs> more of an aquatic. Uh, activity that then became aerial uh, later on in the in the ex- ex- exercise yeah,
5: so. yeah absolutely and, and that that i think is an area that is largely unexplored the the underwater ufos or usos or uap in the context you yep. use uh, because that very case the 2004 nimitz case for example um mm-hmm. you know Made that direct connection between these objects and the water coming out of the water having some association with it of course there's always been people who felt like well there's underwater bases though we don't have any proof of that um, you know it's a logical thing to pursue I think in terms of research and Mm -hmm. yeah there are, are efforts underway to do that
2: you know, one of the things that, uh, that I've looked at extensively is, is trying to understand correlations. Uh, but to, you know, so, so I know, you know when you go out and do an investigation, you might look at maybe some past uh, uh, experiences or past sightings or things like that, or even some past cases that were quote-unquote debunked a, as a reference point um, for what this case might be. But, but, but do you actually look at any, or does anybody that you know of Look at correlations between confirmed uh, sightings to see are these all taking place within a certain period of time, a certain day, a certain time of the day, and so on and so forth. Absolutely, like it's day, a key right?
5: part of every investigation. So, for example, someone makes a report to MUFON, they s- submit it on MUFON.com, it gets triage sort of, uh, which really s- assigns a um, a level of importance. So, you've all heard of. Close encounters of the first kind, second, third kind, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then in combination yeah. with uh, Dr. Jacques Volet created a scale uh, that you know identifies the type of sighting. So like a flyby or something that makes maneuvers. And this combination of triage then um, assigns a, a, an importance level basically. And then it's assigned to the local region where, where that, that sighting occurred. And the reason for that is, for example, myself here, I, I'm located in Phoenix. Um, I'm the assistant director of, of Arizona MUFON. And MUFON is set up as it's an international organization and It has a national um, uh, structure. And then under that national, each state or regions have a local chapter. And the reason is, is because any investigation is really geographically centric. In other words, it's almost like an investigative reporter. You need to know what, when, where, and those are all geographic. And then hopefully you can identify the who and the why if you identify those other things. And so then, you know, you have this very, you know, specific set of research data points that you go for. So things like, hey, what was the weather? What was the temperature? What was the dew point? You know, what was the moon phase? Um, You know, we we use an application called Stellarium, and it's a wonderful um, astronomy application. You can put in coordinates, date and time, and it'll display what was in the sky, I mean, even 100 years ago. Yeah. Um, And so then you can, you know, eliminate that possibility. Hey, was this Venus? Was it, you know, up and out at that time or whatever? And then um, one of the things we always do is correlate between, Move on, and I look for other reports because I might get assigned a single report, but there might be another one in my area that they're related. Um we also check yeah. with um, New Fork, which is the National UFO reporting center by Peter Davenport in Washington State. And mm-hmm. um, though they don't investigate well. they at least record you know sightings. Yeah, and so again, we look for those correlations. and then, if you've ever seen the MUFON um, report that you submit, I think it has some 200 mm-hmm. data points. I mean, things like, you yeah. know. Oh, yeah, I, was the I reported one back in July. Yeah. Oh, you did? <laughs> oh, really?
0: Cool. Yeah, yeah, a really, really fantastic one. And uh, yeah, it was a, it was a lot to put down and I was thankful for that. So. Yeah,
5: it does. It, it walks a person through and, and elicits the details that they might not have been conscious that they had. And then when asked you know. about it, so oh, yeah, I did see that or it did make a noise or it didn't make a noise or blah, 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 whatever it may be. So then, you know, yep. you, w- the idea is, you know, this is a database. There's an excess of 100,000 reports in the MUFON database. And you can search by all these different data points and you can, you know, as you said, look for a correlation. Hey, did you know, was there a triangular shaped UFO reported in this area or how many over how many years? How come... You know, in, in this zip code, um, you know, there's been seven triangles seen over 15 years or whatever. Right, you know, right. So, I mean, it is, it's um, any data that you can, you know, research, record, it, it's just incredibly valuable.
2: Well, something that I've, um, I have noticed with all of the sightings that I've had, and some of the sightings that I've heard about, and research for like um, uh, all the stuff that was researched as part of Project mm-hmm. Blue Book, um, is they all took place near water. Ah. Um, so that that was something that that I started to to draw. It, so it gets back to our to our aquatic conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, is that you know are are these things? Uh, you know, John Keel. Um, uh, you know, he had some faults, but he also did a really good uh, job in the book, um, uh, Operation. Trojan horse of laying out a lot of uh, UFO accounts from like the 1800s and the early 1900s, and a lot of those accounts, uh, it talks about how a craft would land, uh, beings would get out, and they would ask for a bucket of water. Right. Um, And so, and so, it makes you think. um, You know, even when you think about, you know, Star Trek and stuff, you know, they would have had a limited water supply on board, but then if they needed more water they would have to go somewhere and and get water so voyager um, that's what they
0: had to do they had to go find water
2: (laughs) right exactly so um you know it makes you think that how many of these crafts are are you know going to a water uh location or coming from a water location maybe the crash in roswell happened because they ran out of water i mean yeah what (laughs) if what if they
0: what if water was fuel for them right that's something i've always thought about too and 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 one of the good reasons we could have these underwater bases
5: yeah. yeah, and we don't know. I mean, you know, there's many yeah. possibilities, right? And uh, oh yeah, and yeah. um, and you don't want to exclude any possible explanation. I mean, that's the yeah. thing. you you have to be open-minded, and and you know, non-judgmental because we, the fact is, we know so little, um, and we tend to be anthropocentric, which in, in essence means. We see everything from the human point of view, right? Like right. us, we right. need water. You know, we got to drink it. A couple days without it, we die. I mean, it's that important to us. Um, and so it's natural for us to think, hey, they must need water too, right? Uh, right. Well, however, yeah, yeah. you know, and uh, you know, I, I think that's very possible. But on the other hand, maybe they're silicone-based or something and they don't need water the fact is we just don't know so that's why we always have to be open-minded skeptical in a healthy way you know we don't want to just dismiss things because they just don't fit our anthropocentric thinking i think that's the point i'm trying to make
2: yeah yeah Yeah. And, and uh so something else that i wanted to ask about and i don't know Something that Stefan and I, and I think a few others, have recently uh, been thinking about, and, and again, I'll tie back to Keel just because I've done a lot of reading of Keel over the mm-hmm. last year, is—is um, is this kind of a, a look at things uh, holistically, look at all the paranormal hol- holistically? I don't know if anybody has looked at, you know, um, uh, two days before there was a there was five UFO sightings, there were two Bigfoot mm-hmm. sightings. Are any of those things related? You know, to, to look at all the paranormal... Right,
0: activities. there was a massive haunting that took place that a lot of people saw right around the same time. We, we noticed that correlation, if you'll remember it, in the Enfield haunting. Remember yeah. the one in London in the 70s? We looked up and there was a massive UFO flap that happened yeah. the same time in that same area, which was very interesting, so who knows? Yeah,
5: actually, when, <laughs> when I conduct an investigation and interview someone, I always ask them to explain to me. First of all, did you have any other weird things happen before or after? You know, yeah. um, how were you feeling that day? You know, what was going on? Don't don't tell me just about the incident, that the, the thirty-second incident. Right. Tell me what what did you feel like when you woke up in the morning? Were you having dreams? Were you, you know, what I mean, because you're right. There there there, at times is correlating, evidence or experiences that, I think. People would right. more interpret as paranormal, um, and then you know, you, you you have to be aware of the fact that some people in ufology are very nuts and bolts. And I have to admit, when I got into it, that's the way I saw it. And what I mean by that is, hey, that's a physical object in the sky. You know, it came from somewhere. There's someone in it. They're showing up, right. looking around, and and then they go away, and that's that. But that does not fully describe what we're seeing. That that explanation is not right. enough. And then then you have other people, who you know, feel very much so that this is more paranormal than than nuts and bolts. Or mm-hmm. and then, now I'm of the opinion, having been an investigator for you know over a hundred cases and been at this for three, four, five years, um, it's really both. And we don't know. Yeah, we don't. We don't completely understand it. But again, if I were to dogmatically say there's nothing paranormal and it's not related, um, I would be missing the boat there because um, the evidence is suggestive that that's not the case. That there is some correlation. Yeah. This is bigger. So, yeah, the whole Bigfoot thing. Maybe why? Why is Bigfoot seen all the time, but we don't have bones and we don't have scat and we don't have remains right. and all those things um well maybe one of the explanations is that thing is interdimensional it, it comes and goes from somewhere else yep. to here that's why don't we see evidence right. of it living you know eating and
0: all that kind right. of stuff uh but but we're seeing it well and, think and that's about like all UFOs. the ufos well and think about all the yeah think about all the people that have gone missing in the world right we've never found their bodies we've never found their bones Mm -hmm. and you know to say uh, maybe there's not that many sasquatch out there and maybe we're just not finding them like we're not finding these missing people Mm -hmm. right like you know if you've ever seen the missing 411 and stuff like that a lot of that's in the forests uh and the like um but one thing i wanted to say was this is very interesting because there's a lot of debate and there is a lot more now people uh, in the community are becoming a a larger community now instead of these pod communities. But it reminds me of back in the fifties and sixties, you know, where there was a huge disconnect um, between UFO sightings and contactee sightings. You know, they, they did not, they were not the same groups. You had people like Alan Greenfield and gray Barker and keel and those guys uh, on Adamski and all them saying, Hey, you know there's contactees these guys are just as important than the ufo community was like no it's making us look bad um and i think that was what was happening here um the last 10 years was you know that was was what it was too it's like they were accepting that contactees and ufo sightings were similar but oh don't put ghosts or don't put cryptids (laughs) in the boat now we're seeing that but that's something i love about MUFON i love that you know you guys ask for sightings for a contact or a sighting or abduction or entities Mm -hmm. um and i think that's very very brave and it shows how far we've progressed um as as a community
5: yeah and i I think Um, it's uh, really important uh, it's more evidence and it's you know too many Mm -hmm. people are having too many experiences to discount it Mm -hmm. again you know when I first got interested in UFOs you know I wasn't sure that it was real but the more I got involved the more I studied Mm -hmm. it then then began participating and and having investigations you know I realized this there that it isn't just a question of evidence there's proof proof is there is a phenomena now what it is yes yes, don't know yet but there's no denying it and of course today, we have the benefit of the United States Navy coming out and ponying up and saying, yeah, this, this phenomenon yes. is in fact real. Uh, we don't know what it is, which is great. I'm fine with that. Don't feed me you a know, line of crap. Tell me the truth. You don't know what it is. Yep. You don't know what it is. Fine. Now, but let's get there by studying it you know, in a scientific way. Right. And that's kind of the difference, right? Um, people you know, scientific community, the the government, they they did not want to touch that aspect of it, um, with with the abductions and, and the contact, uh, because it right. it doesn't play into our Western materialistic culture, <laughs> and the thinking that we have, um, and from a military standpoint, and rightly so, I, I will say they they have to look at it from a, a perspective of threat. Right. We want our military to protect us from threat. And when there's something unknown, unidentified, you have to at least interpret that there's a possibility that it's a threat until you eliminate that possibility. And so I know a lot of people with the TTSA, the Nimitz case, the Roosevelt case and everything that's going Mm -hmm. on now. You kind of have some people in the UFO community who are offended that it's being, you know, presented as a threat or a possible threat.
0: Like Stephen Greer, yeah, yeah. he is very against and, that. And I can
5: understand contactees and um, those who have had abductions and they were a positive experience that that might feel offensive to them. But I'm pretty sure, certain too that people who've had an abduction and a very negative experience probably yeah. would be supportive of the idea that they're potentially yeah. a threat. But in terms of military, we want them to consider it a threat until... They have you know, identified it and eliminated that possibility. And frankly, anything that can behave and perform like they do is a technology so far more advanced than ours that they would be a threat if they so chose. I, I love what Nick Pope yeah. um, used to say about that. That you know, threat analysis. It, it, it's basically use this um, this illustration. For example, the United States has nuclear weapons. Um, that's threatening to any nation on earth okay but from the perspective Mm -hmm. of the united kingdom they would look at our nuclear weapons and say okay is there a threat the first analysis is capability yeah they have the capability to annihilate us but the second part is what is their intent what is the probability Mm. that they would use that capability against us and so oh we're allies well then that's no threat but do you see that you, you could, right, which is
0: the opposite right. was the cold war. Cause we didn't know what Russia was going to do with theirs. Right. So yeah, exactly. I get that. Yeah.
2: So, well, and I was just going to say, when you think about uh, resource, uh, to, to, to understand and solve the problem, um, you know, the U S military has uh, the resource capability that no other private organization on earth has. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, honestly, if, if you were to go before, uh, you know, committees and Congress and so on and forth and say, hey, we want to investigate this, we don't, you know, we don't know what it is, we need to understand the threat level, they're more likely, to, I think, to appropriate funding to understand what, a, what the threat is versus, hey, just we, we just want to randomly look into this phenomenon
5: and see yeah, what it is. For sure. So. And in fact, you know, I'm sure that's been the argument that got the um, bill passed recently, um, submitted by Marco right. Rubio on the Intelligence Committee, to you know get the um, Defense Department to pony up a report in six months about all the UFO research and activity. And again, you probably aren't going to get that just because it's scientifically interesting. you know They're, they're going to right. push right. the, hey, this could be a threat issue which again I'm supportive of because right. not because I think that it is but because you know I think that it could be and you want you want that analysis to be done you know and like you said with the resources that can really really cut it so like we've seen with the yeah. you know radars and you know all the the things that they have at their disposal
0: yeah, and I right, think well, it takes—I and... think it takes a lot of hubris too to think that it's—it's it's either only a threat or either only good intentions. It, to think that it, it's only one species out there, right, or or whatnot. Um, it could be both. It could be all. You know, we have to. And that's the one thing I hope that even with the new task force and everything like that, that they are looking at it from all angles, that it isn't just, you know, the Russia of the stars, but, you know, something, uh, multiple things or multiple dimensions or whatnot, or do they even already know because of the secret space program? I'm just saying.
5: (laughs) (laughs) No, no, really good point. That, that is a great point. I mean, look at humans, we have good ones and bad ones. We have good nations and bad nations, right? We have, you know, exactly. good intent yep. and bad intent, and then, then we have accidents. Right. You know, we, we you know we're imperfect, mm-hmm. and we, we, you know, and again, we think anthropocentrically, and we might project that on on alien life, and maybe it's true, and maybe it's not. But I mean, you again, we have to be open minded and consider all possibilities, right? Even on that level.
2: Yep. Well, and I think though that you know, um, to to the point of a, a, like you said, if you have, have had a good experience with contact or abduct, you know, being abducted, uh, you might be offended by the perception of threat. Um, but also, we, it would it would not behoove us to just assume good intent, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why that analysis yeah. has to be done. Um, so I mean, I, I think I think it's fair. Um, as long as as long as which we would we would honestly probably never know as long as they don't come back secretly and say hey there's no threat but then publicly say hey there's a threat so that they can get you know money to right. go off and build. You know, weapons or spaceships or whatever the case may be. So, like I said, we would never know what they decide on secretly versus what they give public.
0: Right, and even the report they give us isn't. It's not gonna. They're not gonna give us the whole the whole kit and caboodle.
5: Yeah, (laughs) I'm. I I try not to be cynical, but I look at the um, last seventy years' experience of of uh, let's say Blue Book, for example, and the government's Mm. willingness to tell (laughs) us the truth. And I don't really see that there's much incentive on on their side to do so. However, things are changing because, you know, I think it is driven by things like, um, for example, the discovery of exoplanets. And, you know, Mm -hmm. 15, 20 years ago, nobody, I mean, at least the scientific community and most people would not think or admit that there is life elsewhere in the universe. And then with the discovery of these exoplanets and then the number of them, now even the scientific mm-hmm. community, we see NASA come out saying, yeah, you know what? It's crazy to think yep. that there isn't life elsewhere. So I think that kind yeah. of broke the the taboo from a scientific standpoint. I mean, they're taking baby steps. Don't get me wrong. They're, they're not going to admit much, but yeah, the door has been opened. Well,
0: and a lot of it is the... The church doesn't have as much hold as it used to at one point you know um and a lot of uh you know religions are kind of coming around to this idea as well like they're accepting it a little bit more too what was it
2: uh something i read recently i think it was like 2009 the catholic church with underneath the pope actually put together a plan for if we make contact Here's mm-hmm. how you as believers can interpret that contact mm-hmm. in relation to what you believe. Yeah, in
0: fact, so. yeah, the, the, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, yeah, that, you know, the, um, the Vatican astronomer has been all about for a very long time about extraterrestrial life. Yeah. <laughs> He's been a big proponent of, it. I don't know if it's still the same guy. Cause he was pretty old when I saw him last time, but yeah. I know that they're pretty. Yeah, they're pretty around it.
5: Well, you know, I I think you know I I had a strong religious background myself in a typical Christian religion that was you know like oh don't look into that stuff it's you know blah blah blah, but I thought I thought the Vatican actually had a very brilliant response to that. Most people thought, oh, the government's not going to reveal this because you know religions would topple and crumble and people would lose their minds. But you know, the, the Catholic Church did something just, I thought it was brilliant. They just said, well, if there are aliens, we'll be happy to baptize them too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs>
0: That's what I've That's, always said
5: that. that like, brilliant. I've never
0: understood that. Like We don't have yeah, to yeah. undo our <laughs> it's entire more history. missionaries.
5: We don't have to change our, our dogma. We, hey, fine. <laughs> what applies to us? Can apply to them too.
0: So I thought that was brilliant. They didn't you right know, now. You, know, you don't now. You don't just have to go to Mumbai. You can go to Sirius Four. Yeah, <laughs> and do your missionary work.
5: <laughs> hey, and just on a side note, you know the Vatican has a telescope here in Arizona, on Mount Graham. Oh, yeah, they operate really? a, a telescope. I was just looking
0: up. Mm, that just made yeah it pretty day. cool. that It was a big <laughs> deal when it came oh. on,
5: online because there was a an environmental issue, the red squirrel, I think it was. And it, it postponed oh. it for a couple of years, but they finally got it done. And yeah. And, um, that, huh. that telescope has, has, um, you know, um, discovered some pretty interesting stuff. So I don't know. Sorry. That was just a little Arizona, plug there
0: no i love that i I love learning about everything around here so
5: (laughs)
2: pretty sure i know where pretty sure i know where is going this weekend.
0: (laughs) right (laughs) i'm already i'm already looking it up yeah um but i do want to swing this back around to you a little bit um, you know, it shows, you know, that you've been, uh, you joined MUFON in 2015 and became a field investigator in 2017 and blah, blah, blah. But before all that, what, what got you your interest into ufology and, um, seeking and learning and then the eventual joining of MUFON?
5: Yeah. Like I mentioned, I was, you know, a member of a religious organization and just wouldn't touch it. Although I kind of had a mild interest, but I, you know, between that and being a young man and you know starting a career and raising a family and back then the taboo was very strong and i just would not oh, yeah. go there right but what happened in 1997 on march 13th was the phoenix lights and yeah oh.
0: the phoenix lights yeah and though
5: i didn't see it that night the oh, ensuing <laughs> media and all that stuff really got my attention and you know i thought wow you know that's in my own backyard You know, and it did spark my Mm -hmm. interest, but I really didn't do anything with it. But now it was kind of a little ember in there glowing. And then I decided around 2010 that I might kind of start looking into it a little more secretly because I'd been watching like the UFO files, and then you know the UFO hunters came on, and there started to be some good programming on it. And um, Mm -hmm. I the first book I read was uh, The Day After Roswell by Bill Burns and Philip Corso and I read that oh well I just ordered that yeah when I read it I kind of thought you know actually I didn't have a very positive view of it let's just put it that way I thought it was a bit dubious (laughs) and I almost just gave up but it just so happened Linda Kane's book UFOs generals pilots and public officials go on the record came out and that book convinced Mm -hmm. me I mean, she's an investigative journalist she wasn't a ufo person and she profiled all these very very strong cases and approached it like an uh, investigative journalist and it was just cogent and it was logical and it was reasonable and so that really spurred me on and then from there i've read hundreds of books and you know dvds and just the whole thing and and i got to this point where i'm like you know I, and I'm not trying to be arrogant. I'm just saying, I have all this knowledge now. I've learned all of this stuff. What the heck am I going to do with it? You know, I wanted to do more. I wanted to play. I wanted to participate. I wanted to contribute. And I, I yeah. been in, I've been in—I've been in government for the last twenty-some years. And um, you know, I had a very successful career in a technical position. And um, I knew I could thrive in a organizational structure and when I looked at ufology there really wasn't much out there except for MUFON and so I, I joined MUFON just as a, as a member and got the journal and kind of you know started begin absorbing sort of that culture and stuff and I found that I liked it and so I decided to become an investigator. I went through the training and the process and began investigating cases and I just absolutely love it. Because to me, um, yeah, it was a way that... where I could I could contribute, I could participate. I was kind of in the know. Um, and, you know, it, there was a purpose and a point to it. You know, people would have these experiences and just, you know, bust a gut trying to figure out what to do with it. You know, they want – they're afraid to tell people. They'll yeah. get laughed at. But MUFON was a place where they would be treated with dignity and respect and, you know, all right. of that and um that really appealed to me and and i I found out i kind of had a knack for it it was really up my alley and um you know i i've been going full steam ahead since that time to the extent that i I even you know wrote this book recently and i you know i'm just having the time of my life i'm about ready to retire and i'll be able to devote even more time um to move on and that experience but you know, it's put me in touch with so many great people, and it's just been so fun. And, oh, and people, in you follow are awesome. I mean, I've had dinner with. I'm going to name drop a little. Just and the, the reason I'm doing Do it, it is, is <laughs> I want people to know that if you are you know interested in this, that it's it's a social culture as well, and you know the people are really mm-hmm. great. So you know, I've had dinner with Richard Dolan. I've hung out with. Stan Friedman, um, you know, I'm friends with Ryan Sprague and, and Jason McClellan and Maureen Ellsbury and, you know, Alejandro Rojas and, you know, I know Tom DeLong, I met Jim Samovan and mean you know, I, I can just go on and on and on. And um Yeah, you know, it it's they are friendly, they um, you know, will engage you and it's just man, I'm just loving it. It's so fun. So I encourage anybody that has the interest get involved i mean here in phoenix we have a really great chapter i have to brag but every month with (laughs) the exception of covid you know we have these fantastic speakers like richard dolan linda mountain howe you name it they come to phoenix we you know they speak to a couple hundred people we go out to lunch and then we go hang out by a campfire see
0: that's what i'm looking forward to getting into out
5: here (laughs) yeah absolutely so i mean this is it, you know it's got a scientific bent to it which really appeals to me but it's got a social bend to it and you know it's it's mm-hmm. you know doing with it what what you want you know and um you can make it what you want and i, I just can't you know speak any more highly of it it's it's a fantastic and fun thing yeah. yeah i can say that's the
0: same for us with this show i mean you know that's why we started this show is is investigating these these things and it all keeps leading back to UAPs for us but uh, you know we investigate everything and through this we've got to meet some amazing people and it's just I encourage everyone to just keep researching cuz our community is very giving and very is. amazing. Yeah. And you know well,
2: oh, it, well I was just going to say I I just became a member of Mufon. We we I've, we've been receiving the the Mufon newsletters mm-hmm. um you know kind of like the updated uh Mm -hmm. uh, report sightings and for the quarter and all that kind of stuff yeah we
0: report on the quarterly every time (laughs) yeah
2: (laughs) but you know for about a for about a year but i also just uh, myself became a member um about a couple months ago and and started looking into the uh you know the investigation process and how do you become an investigator because it just sounds really cool um and and I am very uh, Stephen were to test him a very logical mm-hmm. uh, type thinking thinker and so I think it would be it would be good. Uh, we are definitely for me to... like
0: not to sound you know cheesy, but we are definitely Mulder and Scully. I'm like it. Is, I, this ring in <laughs> front of me is a UFO, and he's like, "No, that's the light you have shining on you right now." I'm like, "Okay."
5: <laughs> but you know what? There, there's <laughs> but room it works for good. both, right? There's really room exactly. for both, exactly. And and that's the beauty of this thing. You you are not you know you don't all have to be square pegs in a square hole that and right. these many perspectives are incredibly valuable because again an investigation in these ufos it's not black and white it's a world of gray you yeah. know and you need those yeah. those perspectives yep. and those personalities and and that viewpoint and so no I, i'm sure you guys would be great at it and if you not need any help you just let me know i, I will be glad to to help you guys uh
0: oh yeah you and lot. i will definitely be talking okay, since we're cool. close by because yeah. i really want to get involved <laughs> in this and come, stuff out here so. come, If you live, <laughs> since you live here in phoenix you know the next meeting i'm gonna
5: hook you up and we'll go and you can
0: yeah check it out for yourself. please do because i would love to i would absolutely love to i mean this is i love this stuff man and uh... so i
2: i did want to you know we're kind of i think uh probably getting close to wrapping up but i wanted to ask a couple uh one quick question so in all the investigations that you've done, um, have you ever had to do your own investigation, your own
5: sighting investigation? No, but what, what, um, <laughs> what happened uh, for me, I submitted a report to MUFON. I was a MUFON member, but not an investigator. It's something that occurred here at my mm-hmm. home, um, and I got video of it. Uh, I submitted it. It got investigated. Unfortunately, the, uh, it was on the iPhone 6 Plus, but it was at the time where you would, you know, run out of memory. And I'm videoing this thing, mm-hmm. and after 58 seconds, it stops because of the stupid, you know, ran out of storage disk space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the really extraordinary uh, performance of the object was not recorded. Now I saw it with my naked eye and that whole thing. So uh, Mou- yeah. Moufong, uh the investigator at the time, I think um, – call it a a drone but um with hindsight now as an investigator i understand why they they thought that was the most likely explanation because they Mm -hmm. didn't see what i saw and just my testimony on it i mean you know it was just one of those things but um it was very very unusual thing and I've got the video I'll send you guys if you want just so you can check it out but
0: yeah absolutely um, yeah. Yeah. yeah,
5: but um, you know the, this is the nature of investigation you know again it, it's right. we don't know and you know I love that poster I bet you guys have the poster I've got the poster uh, that says I want to believe mm-hmm. and you know that's mm-hmm. that yeah, craft is from I think Poland and whatever but anyway, any rate the whole I want to believe thing no I want to know. You know, I don't want to be a believer. Yeah. I, yeah. I spent 35 years in religion as a believer. I'm done with that. I don't right. want to believe. No, yeah. I want to know. And so that's the approach. I, I want with know. UFOs. I don't want to believe. I want to know. And how are you going to know? Facts, yeah. evidence, proof. And, yep. you know, that's right. evidence. we will, we don't have it yet. Or if someone has it, it's not being shared yet, but it's feeling like <laughs> right. you know that's coming. Now I don't have any inside information, anything more than you guys, but there's there. What's happened in the last three years um, is truly remarkable. More has happened mm-hmm. in terms of disclosure or confirmation, whatever term you want to use, uh, in the last three years than happened the prior 70 years, in my opinion. Now I was alive, or I was alive yeah. in the 60s when I was a little kid, but I mean, ufology in the 60s. Yeah. 60s, and seventy was pretty exciting. I think when you look back at the documentation and so forth. Oh yeah. But I mean, we 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 are really close to you know we know more today um, than than we ever have. Let's put it that way. So it's really an exciting. Right. Well, con- because
0: disclosure disclosure can't just be yes there are ufo's cuz we've already established mm. that so now disclosure has to be more than that it's it's yeah. the <laughs> the master's degree version right so yes um that's that's what i'm excited about um but before we get Um, out of here i did also want to give you an opportunity to talk about your book um the unidentified aerial phenomena a beginner's guide to researching ufos available on Mm -hmm. amazon um i love this because years ago i when i first got into ghosts and Mm -hmm. stuff I found a very similar book, but for ghost hunting and it was um, pretty layman's and it really helped me understand as your book does too. And so I'd love for you to just quickly talk about your book a little bit. Yeah, I, um, I wrote
5: it really because of the, the point in time that I, that, um, you know, I gained this knowledge, I've gained this experience and right at the time that, you know, these new disclosures have come out, particularly with TTSA and so forth and how the media began, began treating it respectfully, right? So there wasn't, you know, X-Files music every time and the, the reporters giggle. Now it's treated, <laughs> you know, respectfully. Right. And I think what that meant to me was, look, there is a whole lot of shames out there who are interested but wouldn't, you know, express that interest because of fear of what family and friends and yep. so forth and the, the taboo and the ridicule that comes with it. Um, And so I'm thinking there's a lot of people who are interested and who are going to be willing to dip their toe in that water, not to mention shows like Ancient Aliens, you know, which has changed the whole topic, whether it be religious or scientific, you know, causing people to think out of the box. Let's put it that way. And so, and and I thought, well, you know, when I first started, I had to kind of dig through, I call it in the book, wheat and Chaff. There was a whole lot of chaff I had to go through, right? You know, stupid videos on YouTube, you know, nonsense stuff, um, you know, all these rabbit holes. And, you know, it was a a waste of time and it was discouraging. So what I've done with this book is, look, this, for a beginner, if you're newly interested in this, these are the topics that you would want to consider. These are the good ones. These are the bad ones. Um, You know, this is the process. This is what good information looks like. You know, it's what bad information looks and sounds like, and then just talked about you know all the big issues, and and it it's pretty straightforward. It's like ten chapters, and each of them is just, mm-hmm. um, um, you know, I, I, I list things like you know what is UAP. I devote a whole chapter to talking about what it is, and then things like m- misidentification, um, hoaxes, the scientific mm-hmm. method, how that has to be applied, uh, different forms right. of evidence. Um, you know, and then I talk about classic cases that are a good model for people to understand and, and again, what what's good and what isn't and then I talk about, like, the cover-up and that's real and then I talk about, you know, the political science of ufology things like, why did the governments act like that you know, um, and there's good reason right. for that, so it's just those big issues big issues, but you know, enough detail that people can you know, get involved not waste a bunch of time and um, hopefully we'll have a whole new generation of people interested because I'm an old dude I'm 60 years old um, and you know a lot of the, the older ones are, are passing before our very eyes so I, it's a really sad thing so I wanted to get the younger generation involved and interested and just create a path to, to get involved without wasting a bunch of time or getting discouraged.
0: Yep, I love that I mean I just recently my my sister who is a medium and she's a big into ghosts and spirits she admitted to Josh and I when we had her on uh, recently that she doesn't believe in UFOs and aliens and I was like
3: what?
0: (laughs) Like I had no idea and it just blew my mind all the stuff that she believes in but yet her son who is 12 um, I I was out with him and he was like Uncle Stefan I just want you to know that I really believe in UFOs and he had this long conversation with me and I was like That's my nephew you know and it's there and uh, this is a perfect like book for me to give to him because he's really interested he's like listens to our show and he's like how do I do this and stuff so this is perfect you know he's right at that perfect age to understand that and uh, I just I appreciate that and I thank you for writing something like that you know something that's just not you you know hard to understand so really appreciate that like I said you can find that on Amazon uh, as well as Joshua we have that on our website as well we people. will The link to it on our resources yep. tab there okay cool um, thank you yeah and what were you gonna say josh
2: well, i was just gonna say i'm definitely gonna pick up a copy because it's i think it's a good uh introduction to field you know field work if you will mm-hmm. um for for me to really understand and engage if this is something that i definitely want to get into yeah so. and
0: well and the beauty part is is I say the beauty part is is that it it fits into some other fields too even like looking into cryptids and and even hell troop crime i mean it's mm-hmm. like some of that scientific method and and things like that 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 flows right into investigating most damn near anything so
5: yeah good point and i agree with that it there's definitely a process and and i do talk about that and you know there's maybe one chapter that's a little deep and and stuff but it's typically written again with with you know somebody new in mind and you know I try not to go you know too deep and too too complex but um, you know hopefully I mean I've had some good feedback for it and um, you know I, I would just love to hear what anyone thinks about it if they if they
0: have a chance to read it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And before we go, I got one crazy question for you. Well, I guess we got to ask what we normally ask our guests. So if they're UFO people, we usually ask, you know, how do you feel about ghosts and cryptids and stuff? (laughs) Have you had any like hauntings or anything like that happen?
5: I've not had a personal experience, but uh, I have been interested in it and researching it myself. And um, there's a a group here called um, PAPS phoenix area paranormal society and uh i've linked mm-hmm. up with uh jamie vike uh who is a member of that and uh we're, we're we keep trying to get together again covid kind of uh limited that but right <laughs> um, i yeah. was going to speak at one of their events but uh yeah i'm definitely interested in for the simply the fact that i think that um having that knowledge may help me with ufos or there may in fact be a link and again i don't want to yeah. you know limit my imagination i don't want to limit my body of knowledge and I'm, I'm not gonna you know turn down you know information that i i think could be useful so you know both personally but as an investigator as well so yeah I, and I, I definitely um am aware that that too is a real phenomenon let's just put it that way
0: yeah, very cool. And very then that cool. leads me to the last question I was going to ask you because this is the thing, P, I don't ever hear about was being a Phoenix person. Do you think there? Because it's weird that in the same year, not only do we have Phoenix Lights, but we had the Hale Bob comet. And do you think there's any correlation between the two? You
5: know, I think. Um, well, I, I would say I know that the re. I, I remember being where I was that night, and I was looking at the comet. We went to a friend's house we had a telescope out in the (laughs) desert we had dinner and we were getting together for the purpose of looking at that now if there was any intention behind it um, you had a whole lot of people in Phoenix who were out that night for the purpose of looking at the comet who had the experience Mm. of seeing the craft so is there some intention behind that I can't say but it is an interesting fact
0: Right. It's yeah, I mean, like where of the lights where they craft coming to get a good view of Hail Bop too, right? <laughs> you know, like we do well, like, I, in boats for fireworks.
2: <laughs> you know, that's that's something that uh that I really been been really thinking about lately is it's almost um like the uh, whatever is whatever is involved with UAPs UFPs and UFOs, it's it's almost like the the sightings have increased so much that it's they're they're basically saying, Hey, you tell them saying you the, the governments of the world you tell them or we will uh, <laughs> right. and, and if you take that kind of thought process and you look at Phoenix Lights it's like hey we know that this is highly publicized people are going to be out looking at this comet so this is a great opportunity for us to have a mass mm-hmm. sighting that can't be so easily uh, debunked that was a
5: freaking parade it, yeah. it was it was a parade parade <laughs> There were more than one, thousands of people saw it. In fact, even here in Arizona, our, our MUFON meetings we meet at the Arizona Historical Museum, and the the museum has a display, and it's their most popular display of the Phoenix Light I incident, bet. And MUFON <laughs> helped put that thing together. So, in Arizona, oh, I know where I'm going deal. next week. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you can come check it out when you go to the Fantastic.
0: <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Well, Shane, thank you so much, man. Well, this has been just an, I mean, I could talk to you for hours and I will, Yeah. Um, but thank you so much absolutely. Uh, for coming on. We, yeah. you're welcome on here anytime, man. I'm like, you, you know, you, you let us know if you've got anything, another book coming out or just some crazy cool sightings. Yeah. Let us oh yeah. Know I've got man. some
5: cases I'll tell you about
0: next time absolutely right. great but yeah thank you so much man we respect your knowledge and we're just so thankful that you came out and uh you know i, I know our our listeners appreciate it as well well thanks for so much for having me and, and like you said
5: i could talk about the subject for hours too it's it's uh it's just flat out fun
0: <laughs> all right well let's get moving on then and uh let's get things wrapped up okay big thank you to shane heard thank you so yep. much shane make sure to get on amazon again and uh look up shane heard h-u-r-d uh unidentified aerial phenomena a beginner's guide to researching ufos you can get it on kindle or you can get a hardcover i believe uh just get on there and check it out and of course you know you gotta check out Mufon.
1: <laughs> yeah
3: <laughs>
0: that's um, just mufon.com. It's is real simple just get on there and check all that out man like we love Mufon.
1: yeah
2: and if you uh, if you sign up on like you don't have to become a member they mm-hmm. have a mailing list you can sign up for and it's pretty neat like we you know we've talked about it in the past in the show
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, they send out the you know quarterly like here's how many sightings we had in different countries and all that kind of stuff and that's that stuff's really neat to see but if you actually want to get to where you can like look at uh, the database of sighting information and stuff like that then you do have to be a member but they're also their memberships are not not badly priced either okay. so
0: no and they they hold conventions and stuff every year of course you know not recently but uh they have local chapters and all kinds of fun stuff which you heard about so um but yeah check all that stuff out but josh i want to get out of here but of course before we get out of here we got to get into our listener story uh, this week. This one comes from an actual uh, friend of my father's um, who uh, found out I was doing a podcast and wanted to send in a story. He's into the paranormal. His name's Greg Jezanowski. He's from Ohio. Uh, and this is his story that he sent me.
1: Hey guys, uh, have a good one. It still gives me chills thinking about it. I was home alone with my dog. I was watching TV, laying on the couch, covered with a blanket dog was laying across from me by the chair it was about two or three a.m i was barely awake trying to finish watching a movie and all of a sudden i felt the blanket pull back from my shoulders and well, i kind of moved to see what it was thinking that it was just the dog pulling on it just as i looked over my shoulder i saw a dark shadow dart past me my dog immediately jumped up to chase it growling fiercely I shot up, too, and the dog ran to a closet door mirror at the foot of our steps. The dog was barking, growling, right at the mirror. I didn't see anything. She would not stop. She was up all night doing it. After that night, the dog wouldn't go anywhere near that mirror. I couldn't even drag her. One time I tried, and she nipped me. She used to love going upstairs with my girls, but... Not anymore. I also had had friends over, often to my house playing pool in the basement. I didn't have a toilet down there at first, and one night, a buddy's girlfriend went upstairs to use the bathroom. She came running back down the basement stairs, white as a ghost. She wanted to leave, and she screamed, right now. She said she saw a shadow, something at the top of the stairs. And she didn't want to talk about it, she just wanted to be gone. The house, it was built in 1890 near Calvary Cemetery and I moved shortly after for other reasons, but I always wondered if others had issues there before me or
0: after. It's interesting, um, a lot of houses in Toledo, uh, it's like they were built by a similar architect um, because my great grandmother's house it was identical layout to the house. My dad moved into um, like 10 years ago or something like that. Um, I mean, exact same layout, my friend Nikki's house growing up uh, that Trisha and I talked about exact same layout as these other two homes. Um, and at the bottom was, was, this closet door with a mirror on it. And so hearing Greg's story, I'm like, man, I wonder if this is the same like architectural house because Nikki Always claimed that there was something in that closet that it was haunted. Uh, same thing at my dad's; they were like the little ones would always be like, "Don't go in that closet." And my great grandmother's house, we were always scared of that closet. And I'm like, I wonder if this. We're like the architect, you know? Was like, uh, uh, I'm gonna build this as a like a, a happy place for ghosts. Well, so so two
2: so two things pop into my mind. One is. Um, you know, your the, the whole thing around the architect reminds me of uh, mm-hmm. Ghostbusters. Because, you know, the the main building. You yeah, know, that's the, what I was it's saying. It's like a Ghostbusters it. architect type yeah. right. thing. Um, and then the second thing is um, the mirror piece. Because, you know, we, we talked about it before. We've talked about it before about, you know, our mirrors portals. Um, mm-hmm. And the fact that there's a mirror on the door. So maybe it really didn't have anything to do with the fact that it was a closet in that specific in that spot but but there was a mirror on the closet the mirror was what made it uh accessible
0: well it's interesting because um a lot of older houses up north you you had two things that happened. is you have one you have like the the alcove or the the foyer or the uh, breezeway because it gets so cold up there you kind or a mudroom as they would call it but in the front of the house um, and there would be places to hang your coats, or if you didn't have one of those, or even if you did, the coat closet was right next to the front door, yeah. um, as a way to shake off any snow and and things like that. So the fact that all these homes had this coat because it was a coat closet, all the way across the living room to the steps, always seemed weird to me. Hmm. <laughs> you know, just an odd, yeah. odd. I guess it you know, I guess I mean, that's where it, the stairs are, so it's, it's yeah. just gonna be empty space, but.
2: But I mean, as far as houses looking similar, that's 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 the case I think everywhere because, unlike today, where there's thousands of different architectural di- you know plans that people right. can choose from, it used to be pretty much like. Here's your five plans. You know, you want to build a, a ranch style house, a well, two story, a one and a half, whatever. Well, and even
0: know. then, a lot of times the cities would just build these neighborhoods. You know, back and then for affordable housing and and yeah. things like. That. Especially in like the twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, a lot of them were cookie cutter. You know, and, you know, you had like two or three designs, and they would kind of shake it up a little bit. But for right. the most part, they were all pretty similar.
2: So. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's like a. But yeah. You know, just, we'll talk about Sarah's parents' house. Looks exactly like, you know, my friend Jason in his parents' house. So
0: Yeah, yeah it's so weird, man. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, thank you, Greg, for sending in that story. Uh, it's a good one. I think a lot of us that have had paranormal experiences have had those things. I know I've had blankets pulled um, and things like that. And yeah, when you have pets, you're like, God, you stupid dog. And then the dog's like, Are You stupid, bark, bark. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, but, yeah, if you want to send in your listener story, please send that to us to uh, fearscapepodcast at gmail.com or at fearscapepod at any of our social media. Or, of course, go to fearscapepodcast.com and submit a sighting or just click on that. Um, send us a message, chat with us, thingy-ma-jiggy. And, uh, you know, we want to hear those stories, even if it's just a couple quick lines. Um yep. we, we collect them. I mean, this is just proof is in the pudding. And, and the more and more you guys send this stuff in, the more and more we're like, yep. Ghosts yep, and exactly. For real. So. <laughs> and uh, also uh, for the new year, Josh, I know that you're still asking people uh, for something. What is that? Yeah,
2: you know, it'd be great if you would give us a, a nice, re- you know, review of the podcast wherever you can do it. Um, you know, we've we've named off a couple of places before. I, I think Spotify has it. Apple Podcasts, I know, does. Um, but just any place that you can go out there. Wherever you listen, check to see if they have a review option, and just drop us a good review. I mean, you know, I'm I'm gonna be on. Drop us an honest review, uh, but but also, you know, we're all we're always looking for five stars if we can.
0: Uh, <laughs> I mean, we're all five over. We're hearts on, or we're on whatever. Dora, heart Radio, we are on everything. Um, yep. So yeah, drop us that review. Um, also, uh, make sure to check out our podcasts on our podcast network, Fearscape Media. Uh, network. You can just go to fearscapemedia.com. Check that out. And then the other thing I wanted to quickly shout out before we get out of here is our brand new YouTube show with Santosh, Astral Stew. Uh, we just dropped our first episode here recently. Check that out. It's going to be a monthly series with us and Santosh and possibly some guests. Um, it's just a lot of fun. us just... Digging deep, man, into that astral student.
2: Yeah, just <laughs> just having some fun, talking about some really interesting topics. So, yeah, well, uh, kind of like,
0: you know, McLaughlin group of, of the paranormal or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, so, so. Yeah, check that out on YouTube. And other than that, Josh, we can get out of here, man. I'm going to go, you know, go pet my bark bark and my <laughs> meow meow. And
2: yeah. Meow we'll when you my... say
0: bark bark and meow meow, it sounds dirty.
2: Yeah, it does sound dirty. Yeah, sounds uh, uh, quakey, qu- whatever you called me in the beginning. Yeah. What did you call me in the beginning? Krusty. Quirky. Crusty. Crusty. sounds crusty. <laughs> no? I don't know.
0: Po- post it's crusty. Uh, but anyways, yeah, we're going to get out of here. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. This has been Stefan, and I will catch you on the flip side.
2: This has been Josh. The truth is now.
0: Ooh. Damn. Like that. Good night, everybody.
2: Good night.
3: I'm so glad you were able to join us for that horrifying discussion. I hope they didn't frighten you too much. <laughs> Tune in next week for even more research into the nightmarish and haunting creeps. Spooks that we tell ourselves don't exist, but we know they do. Make sure you have your brackets that you hold them extra tight. Next time on... Fear (laughs) Escape.